And together again, all of God's people said, It's been said that some people have misunderstood the power of the name of Jesus. You can barely squinting, bear to look for milliseconds at a sun that is hundreds of millions of miles away that was spoken into existence by Jesus. And you think that you can casually stroll into his presence? He is an all-powerful God, worthy of all adoration and praise, worthy of all of the glory that we could offer. Today, I pray that you would be captivated by the power and the magnificence of Jesus. There really is something about that name, isn't there? I love the old song, kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about the name of Jesus. I want to invite your attention to the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 24, and we're going to invest our time studying and considering God's word there in 2 Chronicles chapter 24. As you're turning there, let me just say a a brief word if I can that's sort of apart from our message I want to thank Scott Pittman for filling the pulpit last week and sharing a powerful word from the book of James for us. So encouraged by that, grateful for him. Uh, Our church was gracious in allowing Scott Alexander and myself and our wives to go away. Uh, I did watch the live stream. I was, in fact, on the bus coming back from a minister's marriage retreat watching Scott Pittman say that his marriage was perfect and that me and Alexander needed some work. And that's why the church had sent us. Well, between the four of us, as well as Dr. Will Wall, our associational mission strategist, and his wife, Christy, the six of us have taken very, very good notes for Donna. And I'm hoping that the six of us can get Scott straightened out. That was the intent of our traveling to that journey. Let me do uh, speak to that for a moment. One of our partners, a friend of ours, his name is Darren Wigington, pastors the Church of the Cove in Townsend, Tennessee. Darren is a William Carey University alum, and we're grateful for Darren's place of service there in the Smoky Mountains. And he's been burdened about pastors, and he wanted to put together a marriage retreat for ministers. And he wanted to offer that completely free of charge to ministers. And he used us sort of as a pilot group this year, almost as guinea pigs, because his desire is to double or even triple the number of attendees in coming years. And he asked Hardy Street if we would come alongside and partner with them. And I said, absolutely. The opportunity for us next year to partner and help the Church of the Cove in ministering to God's frontline ministers would be wonderful. And so we look forward to doing that together. And we'll have information about that in the days to come. But thank you for allowing us to be gone. And thank you, Scott, for being faithful to God's Word in filling the pulpit. You know, as I approach today, I really want you to hear this from my heart. Today really could be one of the most significant days that Hardy Street Baptist Church has ever experienced. Not because of an opportunity for an offering, but for an opportunity of obedience. This could be, for you, one of the most significant days of worship that you personally have ever experienced. Not because there's some unique thing that's happening in the service, but because this is the only time that you have available to you to meet with God. 
You can't do a thing about anything that happened yesterday. And your worrying about tomorrow will not change it one iota. But right now, right here, the God of the universe who says, I will inhabit the praises of my people and the gathered expression of my body. He's here. And because God is here and desires to meet with us, today could become for you incredibly significant. Now, we are focused on an offering today, but I would believe that you and I should see today as a crossroads. By the way, for those of you that are visiting, we normally have children's church. We have a full uh, preschool ministry, but we invited all of our families to be together today. We wanted them to be a part of this. And I, I also want to take just a moment and thank Laura Kaler. Laura is our children's ministry director. She put together a worship packet for our kids in dealing with the chest of Joash. And I'm, I'm so thankful for the faithful leadership of our staff and what God is doing in developing preschool ministry with Linda Smith and children's ministry and youth and college all the way through. But I, I'm telling you, today we stand at a crossroads, a crossroads of obedience. Are we going to move forward together as a faith family and reach into the pine belt and fulfill the mission that God's given us, or are we going to shrink back? And that decision happens on a daily basis. Am I going to obey God and experience His blessing? Or am I going to in some way walk away in disbelief and disobedience and miss the blessing of God? You know, as Scott Pittman was preaching last week on James chapter 1, the notion of being a hearer of the Word or being a doer of the Word. Today, you have that decision to make. And I'm afraid that in our culture and in our society, there are a lot of delusional people. There are a lot of delusional people that believe that they can just waltz into the presence of God any old way that they want to and that they can worship God on their terms, not His. And that's simply not true. I, I've watched it unfold in the lives of people who determine to have a level of religion, but the Bible calls that a form of godliness with no power. Delusional people, maybe you've met them. I think about this for a moment. I mean, there's, there's several different categories. I, I got to thinking about that idea of delusional people. There are people that show up on shows on television like American Idol and, and America's Got Talent, and they're completely delusional. Somewhere along the way, somebody told them, yes, baby, you can sing so pretty. And mama may like their singing, but you and I have heard them sing. And I want to say, have you heard yourself sing? They're delusional. There are people in our day and age that go for plastic surgery after plastic surgery, and we look at them almost in a Frankenstein way and say, my goodness, they have absolutely massacred themselves, and they see themselves as being closer and closer to perfection. You know, there are older men in our society that are delusional about their athletic prowess. I'm not looking at anybody anywhere. Just you know who you are. Wives don't poke him too hard. I mean, he just thinks he is he could play tomorrow. If he could suit up, he's ready to go. Delusional. You know, a lot of parents I meet are delusional about their children. I mean, to think if I if I met the child that they were describing, I think I'm about to meet the absolute most perfect, talented, gifted, smartest kid ever. And then I meet their kid and go, Yeah, he's pretty normal like everybody else. They're average. Delusional. The thing is, in our life and in our family, we need to ask some questions today about our level of surrender. Are we surrendering our hearts and lives to God on God's terms and allowing Him to work in ways that only He can? And as we approach this text, we're going to see a pattern for the work of God, a pattern that moves us beyond our delusion to a definitive decision. 
And so as we look at this, here's the question that I want to ask and answer today. How does God's work get done? I mean, if you think about it with me, I I was looking this week at just the the statistics of our pine belt, our heart's desire is to see the pine belt come to know Jesus. We have almost 145,000 people in two counties. If you count some of the outlying areas, it grows to about 160,000 people. Yet on any given Sunday, we are grossly underchurched and underserved. We are unchurched, if you will. The most religious state in all of the states of the United States, and yet the state of Mississippi is about 67% unchurched. That means that, uh, that we are grossly missing the mark of our mission. We are not reaching with the great commissional cause, the world and the nations for Christ. And I don't want that to be a discouragement, but rather I want to sound an alarm and say for us, we need to surrender to God and realize that if the work's not getting done, maybe there's a reason. Maybe we're not doing it God's way. Maybe we've done it our way long enough and we need to stop playing church and we need to stop being religious and we need to start being the church. We need to start acting like the church and we need to begin to follow the plan and purpose of God. And so together as we look at the pattern for this offering, I believe we'll see a pattern for the work of God broadly. I recently, well let's do this, let's move to our text. I want us to read that together and we're going to move straight in and see where we're going. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 24 starting in verse 4. At one point, Joash decided to repair and restore the temple of the Lord. He summoned the priests and the Levites and gave them these instructions. Go into all the towns of Judah and collect the required annual offerings so that we can repair the temple of God. Do not delay. But the Levites did not act immediately. So the king called for Jehoiada, the high priest, and he asked him, Why haven't you demanded that the Levites go out and collect the temple taxes from the towns of Judah and from Jerusalem? Moses, the servant of the Lord, levied this tax on the community of Israel in order to maintain the tabernacle of the covenant. Over the years, the followers of wicked Athaliah had broken into the temple of God, and they had used all the dedicated things from the temple of the Lord to worship the images of Baal. So now the king ordered a chest to be made and set outside the gate leading to the temple of the Lord. And then a proclamation was sent throughout Judah and Jerusalem telling the people to bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required of the Israelites in the wilderness. This pleased all of the leaders and the people. And they gladly brought their money and filled the chest with it. Whenever the chest became full, the Levites would carry it to the king's officials. Then the court secretary and an officer of the high priest would come and empty the chest and take it back to the temple again. This went on day after day, and a large, money of, a large amount of money was collected. The king and Jehoiada gave the money to the construction supervisors who hired masons and carpenters to restore the temple of the Lord. They also hired metal workers who made articles of iron and bronze for the Lord's temple. The men in charge of the renovation worked diligently and made steady progress. They restored the temple of God according to its original design and strengthened it. When all the repairs were finished, they brought the remaining money to the king and to Jehoiada, and it was used to make various articles for the temple of the Lord, articles for worship, 
uh, services and for burnt offerings, including ladles and other articles made of gold and silver. And burnt offerings were sacrificed continually in the temple of the Lord during the lifetime of Jehoiada the priest. Now, as we consider this notion of stewardship, as we think about money, I realize that some of you perhaps have not been in church in a long time, and you say, see there, I came and they're talking about money. I I want you to know that, that there is this very, very strong hinge point of conflict. I have a friend who leads worship in a church. It's a larger church that has multiple services. And he got a note after one of his services that simply said this, I I wish that you would ask us to stand up when we sing. I wish you'd ask us to stand more. It is hard to worship sitting down. It's hard to worship with with my mind maybe a little bit relaxed because I'm seated. And so he said, I'm going to try that. And in the next service, he asked everyone to stand. And they stood through the service of the, the worship, and he got notes after the service. And guess what the notes asked him to do? It's tough to stand up that long. I wish you would let us sit down when we sing. So there are some of you that would say, as I'm preaching about God wanting your heart, you would say, go get them, preacher. Absolutely. I want God to have everything of my heart. And there are some in here saying, oh, no, not again. He's beating a dead horse. Well, regardless of where you come uh, to this matter of a preacher preaching on money, whether you think it's appropriate or not, Jesus spoke to the issue of money more than he did the issue of heaven or hell. Jesus spoke to this issue because money grabs our heart. And we tip our hand when we talk about money. We tip our hand to where our hearts really lie. And again, I don't want you to see this as a, a blueprint for giving. I want you to look with me as a blueprint for God's work. Whether you're a dad trying to raise godly children or whether you are living and working in a godless workplace and you want to stand and be salt and light or whether you're a student wanting to make an impact on those that are around you in your classes, I want you to see this is how God's work gets done. There are three ingredients that we'll see, three components, if you will, from this text that lead us to how God's work gets done. Now, I want to say a couple of things just about the work that needs to be done here as a church. Next weekend, I celebrate my third year of being your pastor, and I'm so grateful God's given us this time. I'm, I'm so thankful. I feel more alive in ministry right now than I probably ever have in my life. God is stirring and working. When I came as a candidate and then came as your pastor, I stamped across the bulletin a mission statement. I just shared with you my heart about what kind of church I wanted to lead, what kind of church I believe God wanted us to become. And I want you to look there on your bulletin. Flip it over to the front. Let's read that together. Hardy Street Baptist Church is what? Help me out. A family of faith. Where? In the heart of Hattiesburg. Doing what? Making disciples among whom? Our neighbors, the nations, and our next generation. Let's read that together again. Hardy Street Baptist Church. You can read with me. This is audience participation time. We are a family of faith. In the heart of Hattiesburg, making disciples among our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. Everybody look this way. Again, I truly believe this could be one of the most significant sermons that I preach here. Because I want to share vision with you. I want to peel back maybe the layers a little bit and let you see into my heart. 
When God called me here, I wanted us to be a family of faith. That means old and young alike, generational. We're seeing that. I'm so thankful for the cries of babies in our hearing. So thankful for the nursery and the children's ministry that's developing and blossoming. But a family is such that the older don't despise the youth, and the youth don't mock and ridicule the old. They look up to them. They don't disrespect them. I want us to be that kind of a church. I want you, college students and high school students, to revere the wisdom that's in this room. I want you to learn from them and grow from their wisdom. And I want you, church family, not to be a wet blanket committee for all of the next generation, but I want you to fan the flame of their passion and their youthfulness. Who was it, Mark Twain, that said, God wasted youth on the young? You know, I wish that we had the energy that they have sometimes, but I'm so thankful that God is stirring in the hearts of this new generation a hunger and a desire to reach the nations. You're going to hear from a young couple in just a little bit that have laid their lives on the line to say, we'll go because God has said, I need someone to go. And they said, here we are, send us. I pray that our church will be a true faith family, bonded around faith. The, the story of Christianity, the faith of Jesus. As we are a faith family, we are called with a task. We're planted right in the heart of Hattiesburg. You see, long time ago, when we were planted as a church down uh, on downtown as Fifth Avenue Baptist Church, and then sometime in the 50s as popes marched up to 1508 Hardy Street and became Temple Baptist Church, and then as God saw fit for another campus to be planted west and for us to become Hardy Street Baptist Church, God did not call those people with the mindset, hey, we're going to build a museum. We're going to build a building that will always look like it always looks and it needs to always do what it's always done. That By definition, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. We're going to have to change with the times, but we don't have to change the message. The methods will change, but the message is clear. We are a family of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We'll stand on that firmly as a church family, but we've got to become innovative and do all that we can for the cause of Christ in our day. And so we are family faith in the heart of Hattiesburg, making disciples. Everything else we do is secondary to that. Jesus has called us to become a disciple-making factory, to lead people to know and love and follow Jesus Christ, to live their life out for His kingdom's purpose. And if you're not doing that, then we're missing our mark in your life. You have a responsibility, but so do we. We have determined that is our mission. And I want you to get on board with that mission, and we have a target. We want to reach across the street and around the world. We want to reach our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. So in terms of vision, let me bring this home before we go to our three components of God's work. I have a vision for this church. I believe with all of my heart by 2020 we need to have 500 in Sunday school. I believe it with all of my heart. There's no reason for us not to. Why do we need to do that? Because we need to open up pockets of places to fill with lost people so we can share the good news of Jesus and see them saved. We've averaged a little north of 250, and I believe we can double our Sunday school in the coming year and a half. I pray that somebody would say, Pastor, I'm with you. Let's go. That means we may need to start some new Sunday school classes, and I want to teach one. That may mean that you would step up and you would teach one. But we need to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? My longer range plan from there is I long for the day that we see a thousand people in worship. You know, there was a day that there was a question about the viability of this church, but I believe we're seeing God bring us forward with a vision and a passion to grow again. And it's not because we're doing something that's different than we've always done before. It's that we're going back to the foundation of what got us where we were before. Prayer, 
evangelism, discipleship, missions, relationships as we grow together to reach this community. But we've got to reach the heart of Hattiesburg because God's placed us here. In a year from now, if we've got 500 people in Sunday school, there are going to be people that are here that don't look like you or me. They're going to be people of different socioeconomic levels. The beauty is it'll look a little more like heaven. Amen? And we need to do that. That's my heart. Now, why are you saying all these things, Pastor? Because I believe we've got to look long and hard at every component of our ministry. And one of the bottlenecks may just very well be our buildings. We've got beautiful facilities. However, they're dated. They need updating. I had someone that came not too long ago, and they were here for an outside event. It was actually a meal that we had provided for a family after a funeral. And this person said, you know what? If the physical shape of these buildings reflects the spiritual shape of this church, this church is dying. Now, how many of you would say our church is dying? That's good. I'm glad I didn't hear a word. How many of you believe that the Holy Spirit of God has a plan and a purpose for Hardy Street Baptist Church? Hallelujah, I do, and with all of my heart, and we're seeing it. Our church has given record number to Lottie Moon and to Annie Armstrong to fulfill the missional work of the world. We've got partnerships connected from New Orleans to Idaho to Indiana to India. We have connected with places like China and South America. God is using us to raise up church planters. And we're seeing young people that are called into ministry that are being prepared through William Carey University. And I'm thrilled that God is giving us this stewardship. But we better take it seriously. And so, in a long-range plan, we sat down with some of our leaders and began to say, what would, our, our, what would benefit us mostly? We need to look at main areas where guests come in. I mean, we've had a y'all come kind of mindset, and we've pretty well eradicated that. We're going. It's not y'all come, it's we'll go, because Jesus told us to go. There were over 2,000 people at Live at Five again Friday night. We're the very first church that's ever participated in that. Why would we not? So thankful that Scott Alexander, our outreach pastor, says, let's go to them. Now, people are going to come back, and when they come, I don't want them to look at our facilities and say, that's a dead church. That's a dying church. So we want to renovate our fellowship hall and our foyer space and our welcome center. And as we do, we want it to reflect the glory of God to folks that would come into this place. We just want to maintain the house of God. Interestingly, if we're going to talk through our text, uh, this young king had survived an onslaught against the kings. Athaliah had killed off most of the royalty that was there and the lineage that was there. And Jehoiada, the high priest, hid this young boy, Joash. He lived in the temple for the first six years of his life. His seventh year, he became the king of Judah. And this young king, with great wisdom, listening to this high priest, did right things. In fact, the Bible says he did all that was right in the sight of the Lord. And he said, it ought not be that the house of the Lord is in disrepair. And so he called on the people to do what was right. He called them back to the altar. And what I'm doing today is much like he was doing then. I'm simply calling our church family to the altar. Dads, your children need to see you become a spiritual leader in your home. Moms, your children and your grandchildren need to see you rising up and following after Jesus. They need to see you open your Bible more than you open your phone. They need to see you looking at the Word of God more than you're looking at Facebook. They need to see a generation of people who say our only hope as a nation is that we turn back to God. 
We are facing, even this week uh, in Washington, a, a battle that's far more than confirmation of some candidate. It's far more than one party over the other. It, it's the heart and soul of genocide in our generation, as we've seen babies slaughtered through abortion mills. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake for the church to rise up and be the church. Now, how does God's work get done? Well, I think we see it here. I want you to see very quickly three components. And, and again, I know that I'm not giving you all the background of this story. We can talk about this later. But with the backdrop that I've given to you about where I believe our church needs to go, I, I want us to study these verses for just a moment about where King Joash restored the temple. And I think they give to us an incredible pattern. For God's work. Number one, God's work gets done with strong leaders. God's work gets done with strong leaders. Leadership is an interesting thing. Some people believe that pastors ought to be the CEO of the church. I do not. God didn't call me to be a CEO. He called me to be an under-shepherd. My job is to take up a basin and a towel and to serve. But my job is not to do all of the waiting on the tables. There are deacons for that. God has designed it. My job is to preach God's word and cast God's vision. My, God is to get, my, work, my job is to get along with the Lord and to seek God's direction for our church. Not that I've got the market cornered on that, but my role is to be like that of Jehoiada and lead the nation there and here, the church, in a Godward direction. You see, Jehoiada was a godly man, and Jehoiada had rescued this infant from Athaliah, and he had raised him in the temple precincts, and he'd watched over this young boy. Joash became king at seven. He deposed of this wicked tyrant, uh, which happened to be his mother-in-law, by the way. You can go back and look at that in the book of Kings and here in chapter 23, if you go back and read the things about Jehoiada. But Jehoiada had served as a regent, if you will, over Joash and then a counselor until his death. It's interesting to me that Joash fell away after Jehoiada died. Do you have strong people speaking into your life? If you don't, I, I want to encourage you. This is a good word for college students. Eagles soar with eagles and turkeys flock together on the ground. And some of you need to walk away from some turkeys in your life and begin to soar with real eagles. You need to move past the influences of people who would give you godless advice and call it godly. And simply because they're sitting in a pew next to you doesn't mean that they're godly. And that would go for some adults in here. I know groups of men that sit around coffee tables all around this city and they solve all the problems of the world every single week and sometimes it has nothing to do with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We need to get back to that place. Amen? I know that this, you say, our pastor's just, he scratched him off a place and pitched a fit this morning. I'm just wanting to call us to a place of godliness and righteousness and holiness. I want to move back to there, and we've got to have strong leadership. And my desire is that I would leave for you that kind of a leader. And our pastoral staff and our deacons would be those kind of men, that they would rise up. Our committee leaders would lead. And I want to give you three thoughts about vision. Number one, uh, these kind of strong leaders are, are men of vision. They're men of vision. They understand what needs to be done. 
I, I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, form, or fashion that we need to take up some offering so that we can just make this place pretty. No, I think that we need to do all we can to reflect the glory of God to a lost world around us. And if that means repairing the temple, then let's do that. But let's be wise with the dollars that we spend. Let's be wise with the dollars that we invest. Let's be wise as a church family in the direction that we move. I, I don't know about you. If I could just pull over and be honest for a second. Not that I haven't been all along, but can I just get gut level honest with you? I'm tired of playing church. I think a lot of people are. A lot of people went to the house of bread and found that there was no bread there and left hungry, so they said, I don't need that. We hold out the living bread of life. And if we don't get that down in our hearts and our minds, then what are we doing? If we're not making disciples, if we're not growing the kingdom, then we might as well shut the doors and sell the property and go on our merry way and enjoy Sunday morning. But we will stand before a holy king who has given to us a very clear set of instruction. Joshua, uh, excuse me, Joash understood this, and he said to the people, even when there wasn't strong leadership, go out and collect the temple tax, and when you do, we'll repair the temple. And they did not listen. The priests were disobedient there's a lot of that going on in our day and age there are a lot of strong leaders who are not men of godly vision they are not following after the Lord and I want to tell you right now I give you openly this as an accountability when you see me stray from the Word of God that's the day you depose me as your pastor you find one that will preach the Word of God as long as I'm there you you follow and, and I don't need to demand that if somebody has to tell you to trust them you probably ought not Somebody has to tell you they're the leader, they may not be. But I'm just telling you, we're going to develop a sense of stronger leadership based on vision. Number two, based on scriptural authority. I, I don't want to pull a title and say, well, I'm the pastor of this church and that's why you should follow me. I want to be able to say to you, you should follow me because I'm following the Lord. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul said. And our deacons ought to live that way. And the members of every committee of our church ought to live that way. And our Sunday school teachers ought to be able to say to their classes, you follow me as I follow Jesus. That's the pattern. There were strong leaders. Strong leaders are men of vision. Strong leaders are filled with scriptural authority. You see, he understood that God had established this over and over again. We don't have for time's sake to, to go through it, but Joash said, this is what God instructed Moses to instruct the people to do. This came from God, not Joash. This wasn't just a good idea. This is a God idea. We're following God. And they were men of scriptural authority. Number three, I want you to see this. They are men of diligence. They would not let up. They would not give up. Joash's first attempt at getting the priest to go failed, but he didn't quit. He had another approach. He made a chest. He just said, we've gone out and they wouldn't, so we're going to ask them to come in. And he set before them a chest, and he said, now you decide. Now you give to the Lord. Now you be obedient. So I go back to my intro this morning, and we're going to wrap this up quickly. Number two and three will come very fast. You stand at a crossroads. Are you going to be obedient and say, I'm in? If this is not the church for you and of your promise from God, then I want to pray for you to find a church that is. But I believe that there are hundreds of people that are going to come into this place in the coming year, and I believe we're going to see God do a miraculous work. I truly believe that. I haven't gone to some mountain and, and come down saying that. I just believe God has shared uh, enough in His people to, the desire for disciple-making. We're going to see it happen. You stand at a crossroads. Are we going to quit or are we going to move forward? I believe it's time for us to 
rise up, move forward with scriptural authority and with vision. And I want you to see this. Number two, God's work gets done with cheerful givers. I don't know why for sure the people didn't give the first time. There was some question about the the priest not being trustworthy. Uh, We know that uh, they had worshipped Baal. We know that there had been trouble. But he came to this place of saying, we're going to keep at it. And the people gave cheerfully. You know, some people complain about the church always wanting their money. But such complaints, as I said before, tip your hand. And here's why. God makes no bones about it. He does want your money because your money is held in your heart. And God wants your heart. And today, God wants your heart fully in thanksgiving. So today, it's not about how much you give. It's about your motive. It's about how you give. And if you today would say, Lord, you have been so good to me, I want to give back to you. God, I want to support the work of what God is doing right here at Hardy Street Baptist Church. And I will give through this. Not, again, for some whim project, but because we believe God has given us a vision for where we're going. There's never been a more critical time for the body of Christ to rise up. There's never been a more critical time for Christian parents to stand on their faith and be bold. There's never been a more critical time for us at a crossroads for the kingdom's sake to say yes to Jesus. Strong leaders, cheerful givers. Number three, faithful workers. Faithful workers. I love this picture. I love it. The picture is that the people would empty the chest and bring it back, and the people would work to build. In fact, it says in the account in Kings that they didn't even do an accounting immediately of it because they trusted the men that were there. There needs to be an environment of trust in our group. I don't have an agenda as the pastor that's saying, I want to build a kingdom of Scott. Not at all. I want to build God's kingdom. There's only one kingdom, big K, not little K. And we want to see that kingdom built up until he comes again. But it'll take faithful workers. And faithful workers is what we've been calling on. Some of you walked straight through our ministry fair. For almost a month we pushed. And you still not said, here I am, I'll serve. Can I just call on you today? Maybe as you come for our chest of Joash offering, maybe you need to stop at the altar and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. We're going to have an offering here right now. This is a different kind of a service. I pray that this would be one of those, that the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. We, we don't give till it hurts, we give till it tickles. We give in hilarity, knowing that God can give back and we can never outgive Him. My prayer is that as our instrumentalists come, they're going to play, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to ask you to come forward. The offering is very simple. We have envelopes there in the bulletin. You can share that way, or if you'd like to fill out one of those pledge cards for the next six months, you can do that. I would urge you to stop and pray and just pray over your offering and place it there in the box. Or you may want to give it and move to the side so that we can continue flow. If, again, if you're not physically able to come and do this, or if you're a guest of ours, we certainly don't want to embarrass anybody or put anybody on the spot. This is an opportunity for worship, though, so we don't want to deny you that. But on the way out, if you want to give your regular tithes and offerings, you certainly can do that as we exit. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give the offering and return to our seats because we're going to do a very quick interview that we want you to hear about some choice servants of God. I'm going to pray, and as we pray, you'll get up and respond. Maybe today you need to be saved. Maybe today you need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll have our encouragers, our staff members here at the front, and we'd love to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, thank you for this day. It is good for us to be in your presence. 
God, I pray that you would ordain, establish, and bless strong leadership here at our church. Men and women of vision, scriptural authority, and diligence that would not let up until the kingdom of God is built up. God, I pray that you would faithfully give through your people, not robbing of the tithes and the offerings, but they would faithfully give to you today an offering of thanksgiving. And it would be a worthy offering that would repair the temple in the ways that need to be done. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this pattern. In Jesus' name, amen. You come.